Well, God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.M. Crockett, Jr. Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship, coming to you this 28th day of June, 2020, with the second of our uh, twice-weekly installment of the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We're going to go as far as we can go in Ephesians chapter 3. Today, we're going to pick up at verse 8. And um, idealistically, we'd get through verse 21, but realistically, we might not, but it's not a problem. We're not in a hurry. But we're going to start at verse 8. Thank God for you being here today. Thank the Lord for this day. This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We come to you thanking and praising the Lord for all his many blessings, mercies, grace upon grace in our lives by his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We come to you, we're going to continue to study Ephesians, the unity of the church, the grace and mercy of God that incorporated the Gentiles into the manifold blessings of God. Remember at one time the Gentiles were not a part of the fellowship, the covenants, the covenants that God gave to the Jews, to Abraham, to David, the land covenant, the palace was called, was called also the Palestinian covenant. But God, the Bible says, because of his grace and mercy, it says in Ephesians 2 and 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he has loved us even when we were dead in sins. We were dead in trespasses and sins. He saved us by his grace, by his mercy. And so uh, now Jew and Gentile can be reconciled through Jesus Christ. Remember the cross is both vertical and horizontal. The vertical aspect of the cross reconciles man to God because we were estranged from God because of sin. The hand of the Lord is not short that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But our sins, our sins, not our politics, our sins have separated us, not our race, our sins, not our gender, our sins, our sins have separated us from God. And so because of Adam, the Bible says in Romans 5 and 12, by one man, <clears throat> excuse me, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all, for all have sinned. And so Jesus Christ came to, if you will, reverse the curse. Christ came to redeem us from the curse of sin. Christ came to redeem us, to save us, to deliver us to justify us, to reconcile us to God. That's the vertical aspect of the cross. And then the cross has a horizontal aspect. That's where man should be reconciled to his fellow man through Jesus Christ. If man is not reconciled to his fellow man through Jesus Christ, then uh, it's not God's fault. For God sent his son to, uh, to reconcile us to God, but also Jew and Gentile. And then even Gentile to Gentile and Jew to Jew through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. But if it's not through Jesus Christ, then there's no reconciliation as far as God is concerned. But God has done all that he is, uh, that he is required to do. He sent his only begotten son. But whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then once we believe in Jesus, then we should believe in him according to his word, not have all these demonic, spurious racial theories and then try to justify them by the Bible. You, you'd be surprised 
at some of the racial, racist, white supremacist, and even black supremacist theories that find their roots in a perverted interpretation of the Bible. The Bible has been used to justify plenty of evil, and that is not of God, it's not of his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It is not of God to say that, according to the Bible, it is a sin for blacks and whites to live, to worship together, to live together, to fellowship together, to intermarry, according to the Bible. The Bible does not say that. There was even one demonic teaching called pre-Adamism that was supported by many clergy, unfortunately. Pre-Adamism said that the black race, if you will, that the black race was uh, descended from a subhuman species that was existed on earth before Adam and Eve. Now, there were this, I could see if this were supported by some rogue sociologists, psychologists, some rogue individuals, but this teaching, unfortunately, uh, which prevailed in the um, uh, 19th century and uh, even early in, into the mid 20th centuries, uh, was even supported by many clergy, educated, seminary trained clergy that the black race was subhuman and descended from uh, some pre-Adam atomistic form of life. It's called pre-Adamism. Just go to Google and type in pre-Adam, pre-Adam, like Adam and Eve, pre-Adamism. Type it up and, and see what it pulls up. It's, it's a hideous doctrine of demons. It's a doctrine of demons. It has no foundation in the Bible. It has no foundation in the teachings of God, his holy prophets and apostles. It has no foundation in those teachings. It's the foundation It comes from the pits of hell and was used, of course. You, you cannot enslave a person unless you, you cannot enslave a person unless you convince that person that they are somehow inferior to you. You cannot slave a, enslave a person if that person believes he or she is equal to you. You have to somehow make that person believe that he or she is inferior to you. And there are many ad there were many ways that this was done. This was done. It, it would it would have been one thing if a few good old boys, you know, had gotten drunk on Friday nights, etc. That that segregation, etc., would, would have been much easier to to um, war against. But when you had the political, the social, the economic, the law enforcement, uh, even the theological, the the, the clerical. When you had all these aspects, all these principalities and powers fighting against and agreeing together to sub subjugate, to subordinate a race of people, then that, that made it much more difficult to fight against. Again, if it were just a couple of good old boys having too much to drink on a Friday night, that's one thing. But when, when, the, when, the, when law enforcement was infested by the Klan, etc., when, when the church, when the clergy... Uh, when the church leadership was infested by this damnable doctrine of white supremacy. And that was another thing. All right, so anyway, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. But he also came to reconcile man to his fellow man through himself, through what he did on the cross. 
Let us pray and then we'll go into Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin at verse 8 and we'll get as far as we can get. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for your many blessings in our lives. Too numerous to mention. We continually ask that you just fill us with the Holy Spirit. Move in our lives. Help us to say no to sin, yes to righteousness, which is in your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion. We pray that you'll bless all ministries that honor you, glorify you, love you, and your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Bless those ministries. Continue to sustain them, we ask. We ask that you, Lord, just bear witness to those ministries, as well as this one, with fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit. According to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. By Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Alright, so Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to start, I'm going to read verse 8. And uh, we'll just go line upon line. Verse upon verse. Beginning at verse 8. Ephesians. Let's see. Let, let's start off in the, uh, I think this is the NASB. This is the New American Standard Bible. Let me start off in the New King James Version. And then we may flip to another version a little bit later. But let me start off in the, the New King James Version. Okay, Paul says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory. Ephesians 3, 8 through 13. So let's, let's deal with 8 through 13, and then we'll see if we can go beyond that. All right, 3, 8. He says, To me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The Holy Apostle reminds his hearers of his, un, of his unworthiness. I believe that it was in the uh, foreordained plan of God that he allowed Paul as Saul to persecute the church. And then he saved him. But then in saving him, he gave Paul a testimony that I, I had once persecuted the church, Paul said. I'm not worthy to be an apostle. I, I because in other words, Paul needed that testimony. I, I persecuted the church that I'm not willing to give my life for. I once persecuted the church. He, I believe he said in Acts somewhere, uh, he said, even unto strange cities, he persecuted the church. Remember, he was there. He had the blood of Stephen on him, even though he did not physically throw the rocks. When the, when the people martyred Stephen, when they uh, stoned Stephen, they laid their clothing, which no doubt was full of Stephen's DNA. They laid, they laid their clothing. Uh, it's stuff that determines what you, what you're made of, like it's like your cells and stuff like that. It's a it's a big long word, so they just say DNA. It's my grandson, yeah. and so they and so they laid their clothes at Saul's feet, and so their clothing no long no no doubt had the DNA had Stephen's DNA on it, and so then when Paul gets saved, when Saul 
get saved. Saul was his Jewish name. And Paul was his Roman name because he was, he was uh, he had dual citizenship. When he gets saved, his testimony is, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. He's not, this is not false humility. This is true humility. I'm not worthy to be an apostle because I persecuted this church. But then he says in 1 Corinthians, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain because I labored more abundantly than they all. All right. So verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. The holy apostle reminds his hearers um, of his unworthiness as both of them. No, because if you, if you try to drag it out of here, you're going to run into that tripod. You're going to knock that tripod down. Le leave it in here until after I finish, okay? The holy apostle reminds his hearers of his unworthiness as both a Christian. I'm just going to lay down right here. Okay. The holy apostle reminds his hearers of his unworthiness as both a Christian and an apostle. A sent one, a specially sent missionary, an apostle of Jesus, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We can never exhaust, we can never search for the riches of Christ and say, okay, I found them all. No. The, the riches of Christ are boundless. They are endless. So he, he says to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. We can never, the Bible says in Jesus Christ dwells all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We can never exhaust, we can never go to the bank of Jesus Christ and draw everything out. It's impossible. It's, it's impossible. So he says, to me who am less than the least of all saints, right? To me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace what do we say grace is? God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. To me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable not, it doesn't mean you can't search them out. What it means is you will never be able to exhaust that search. You can go into my checking account and quickly take all the money out because there's not a whole lot in there you know, whatever's in there, $80 or $200 or whatever. You can do that quickly. Just hit send. You will never, we will never, hallelujah, I feel like praising the Lord. You will never exhaust, never exhaust. You will never clean out. You will never empty out the bank of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. All right, let, let me read that again. And to make all men, right? Make all men, all men. So again, he's, he's preaching, he's not preaching universalism, Unitarianism, but he is preaching a universal gospel. Not just a Jewish gospel, not just a Gentile gospel. He's preaching a universal gospel to make all men, all men. Remember, Jesus sent his original apostles go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus originally said to the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, woman, get out of my way. I'm, 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 I'm not going to cast my bread before dogs. I'm going to give my bread to the children of the covenant. And the woman said, just, you know, can I, can I? Can I lap up some of the crumbs? See that? But now, through the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus our Lord, now there's a universal gospel. 
for Jew and Gentile, whosoever will. Uh, if you confess with your mouth, it doesn't matter who you are, and uh, that Jesus is Lord, right? And, and, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So, right? so we see this Ethiopian eunuch who was reading Isaiah, and he didn't understand uh, who Isaiah was talking about, about an individual being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, etc. And so the Lord sent Philip to um, proclaim and exclaim, exclaim and pro proclaim, exclaim and explain the gospel. The gospel is universal, but that's not universalism. Universalism, Unitarianism says everybody's saved whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not. That's a doctrine of demons. That, that's universalism, Unitarianism. But the universal gospel says that anybody can be saved, Jew or Gentile. Jew or Gentile. To the Jew first was the gospel given. Remember, the first individuals to hear the gospel were Jews. On the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached. And about 3,000 got saved. And, and, and the Lord gave Peter the key to open the door of the salvation to the Jews. The nation rejected Jesus. That's how he ended up on the cross. But then these individual Jews, 3,000 in this case and then more later, came to accept Jesus as Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. And then, and then the Lord used Peter again to open the door of the, of the church to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, where we see him speaking to Cornelius and his, and his people. So there the gospel is seen as being universal. So Paul says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Remember I said a mystery is simply something that has, been not, has not been revealed. And now it's being revealed. It doesn't mean the mystery is all, you know, spooky. It just it has not been revealed yet. There, there, there are some school systems that have not yet revealed what their return to school plan is going to be. So it's still a mystery. And then once it's revealed, it's no longer a mystery. Some schools have revealed, okay, we're going to do it virtual. We're going to give parents a choice. You can do it virtually or you can do it on campus, brick and mortar. Right? So it's no longer a mystery. But those school systems that have not revealed their plan yet, it's still a mystery. And so Paul says, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages, remember God does, not, God does nothing haphazardly. He says, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Right? Uh, the fellowship of the mystery. Notice, God has a fullness of time. He has a fullness of time. He, and we cannot ma manipulate, intimidate, push, cajole. God has a fullness of time. Remember Jesus said to the disciples, because they asked him, will you, now, will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? And God said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has placed in his own power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You hear that? It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But I've got something for you, boys. I know y'all want political power because they wanted the, they wanted the good old days, the glory days of, of David and Solomon, Kings David and Solomon. They wanted the, they wanted the good old days of Hezekiah and, and uh, Josiah, the, you know, the... Uh, uh, the, the good kings of Israel, Judah, etc. They wanted the good old days to be restored. 
And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has placed in his own power. But I've got something for you. You shall indeed receive power. It was a different kind of power than what they were. They were looking for political power. They were looking to get Rome off of their neck. If I can use the expression, getting somebody off of our neck, off of their neck. Uh, Jesus said, I'm going to give you some power. And the Greek word is, is, is where we get the word dynamite. I'm going to give you some power. But I'm going to give you power not to overthrow Rome politically. Now, that's very important that we see that. I'm not going to allow you to overthrow Rome politically. But I'm going to give you power to shake up the world. In a much deeper, everlasting way. I'm not going to, because Jesus knew the Roman Empire was only going to last for so long. He knew. Jesus knows. Daniel prophesied four great kingdoms. The, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greek, and the, and the Roman. Uh, so God knows, God knows how long the United States is going to last. We think we've been around forever. We've only been around 240 years. So God knows how long the United States is going to last. But Jesus said, I'm going to give you, I'm, Jesus said, I'm going to give you power that's much more enduring. I'm going to give you spiritual power. I'm going to give you power to shake up the Roman Empire, not in the way that you think, not by overthrowing the Caesars. No, I'm going to give you power in a, in a much more profound, everlasting sense. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, which, of course, that prophecy was fulfilled at Pentecost. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses, watch this, unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. All right? And, and so he says in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. It is God's perfect will that the church tap into the manifold wisdom of God. We have access to the manifold wisdom of God because we have access to God. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. It is not God's will that the church be ignorant. Paul used to say that all the time. I would not have you ignorant. I would not have you ignorant. I would not have you ignorant. And here ignorant is not being used in the negative sense. It's being used in the sense of not knowing something. Of not knowing something. If you don't know what 2 plus 2 is, then you're ignorant of that fact. But it's the will of God that you know, spiritually speaking, what 2 plus 2 equals. And so the manifold wisdom of God is available to the church, but the church, we, wisdom is something that has to be sought. Wisdom is not something that's automatic. It has to be sought. We have to seek the wisdom of God. If we're not willing to seek God's wisdom, then it won't be a, it won't be a, premium, uh, it won't be a premium in our lives. Then he says in verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's purposes are not haphazardly thrown together. We, we got to get that. We got to know that. We don't, we don't serve a God who haphazardly throws stuff together. We don't serve a God who, who oh, you know, oh, oh man, oh, oh, I should have done such and such. We don't serve a God who's, who's disorganized. We don't serve a God who's willy-nilly, who's haphazard. God's purposes have been determined before the foundation of the world. They may be new to us, but they're not new to God. Because he has all knowledge. God's purposes are not haphazardly thrown together at the last minute. Rather, they are known to God from eternity. You, you'll see verses like that 
throughout the Bible, whether it's Old Testament and New Testament, known to God are his purposes from eternity. Uh, Jesus, the Bible says in Micah 5 and 2, a governor shall come who's everlasting from, from everlasting. Uh, so you'll see these prophecies saying that, that Jesus Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, but it's not a secondary thought in God's mind. It is a, it is a thought in, in God's mind before the foundation of the world, but it's new to us because we are finite. But God is infinite. He, is, he has no limitations. We are the ones who are limited. That's why we should, as much as possible, tap into his wisdom through his word, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. All right. Let's see. Verse 12. Verses 11 and 12. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished, listen to this, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence. He, Paul keeps saying we, we, we. He keeps including. He keeps, you know, he wants to draw the Gentiles in and let them know you're included. You're, you're, come on in. You're included. Because no long, because no doubt these Gentiles were being battered, even though this, even though these Ephesian churches, if there was more than one, and it's possible there was, even though these Ephesian churches had been established in the faith, they were still being battered by false doctrines. Jews telling them, no, no, if you're not circumcised, you're, you know, you, uh, you don't keep the law of Moses. And so, and so you can teach something that's true, but a false teaching will often or always come right behind what you've taught. You could teach your children the truth, but then they go to school and their friends say, no, 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 <laughs> this, this is what we're going to do. You know, you can teach your children the gospel truth, but if other people get a chance to influence them, then what you taught them, the truth of the gospel that you taught them now has to, um, um, has to wage war against what other people tell them. No, 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 you know. That's what, that's what Satan did. Eve said, we may eat of the tree, of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we can't eat of it, nor can we touch it, for God has said in the day that we do that, we shall surely die. No, no, no. That's what Satan, the serpent, no, no, oh God, no, no, God didn't say that. No, you you misunderstood. God didn't say that. See, so Satan's been doing that, and he does it with churches. The church, the preacher preaches the truth of the gospel, and Satan comes behind it. The, the preacher plants wheat, and the church, and Satan comes with his emissaries, his apostles, if you will, his satanic uh, messengers, and plants tares. All right. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you. Ephesians is one of the prison epistles. So Paul wrote this. He didn't write this on, on, during an island vacation. He didn't write this from a cruise ship. <laughs> he didn't write this. Uh, you know, while he was being uh, um, being given an apostle's appreciation. He wrote Ephesians from prison. So he says, I ask that you do not faint in my tribulations for you, but they have a purpose, which is your glory. All right? It is God's purposes. God's purposes, I should say, are not haphazardly thrown together at the last minute. Rather, they are known to God from eternity, verse 12, because of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. And his bodily resurrection, we have 
full access. We have full access to God by faith. We have full access to God by faith. We have full access. We we have full access to God by faith. You can ask you can ask me to pray for you, but you have full access to God. If I don't or can't pray for you for some reason, you have full access to God by faith. If you're a believer in Christ, you have full access to God. You don't have to come to me for a confessional. You don't have to go to anybody else for a confessional. You can go to God on your own through Jesus Christ. You can go to God on your own through Jesus Christ. It is good that we pray for one another as a corporate body, etc. But you don't need me to go to God. You go to God on your own because we believe, many of us who are non-Catholic, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And because we are all priests unto God, we can uh, remember the priest goes to God on behalf of the people. The prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. And so if we believe in the priesthood of all believers, which many of us do, Baptists and some others, if, if, if we believe in the priesthood of all believers, then we believe that we can go to God. We have, we have access. We have access to the most holy place, not the most holy place made by hands. That place is gone when the Jewish temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. That place is gone. We have access, and that place was only built as a type and a shadow of the true most holy place, which is where Jesus is right now. We have access to the true most holy place, which is the presence of God Almighty. We have access by faith because of Jesus Christ. All right, let me move on here. All right, so he says in verse 13, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you. Paul is in jail and he's trying to encourage them. Glory to the Paul was in jail and he's trying to encourage them not to give up. Glory to the Lamb of God. The apostle doesn't want his tribulations, which were many, to be an unnecessary distraction. All right? Then we go to verses 14 and 15. For this reason, I bow my knees. Hallelujah. To the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a song years ago. I really love that song. It was a radio station. And they had a song and it went, I don't know all the words to it, but the song went, um, Unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it was based on this passage right here. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And over and over in the song, they would say, Unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the, uh, in whom the, Oh, heaven and earth is name, something like that. But it was a beautiful song I remember from years ago. I haven't heard it in a long time. So he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So that runs through verse 19. All right, I call this a praise break. It's like he's writing and then he says, I bow. Now, whether he literally did that, I don't know. 
But even if he didn't literally bow at that particular time, he 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 bowed, you know, mentally, if if you will. Uh, he says, "I for this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our." In other words, I I submit to His holiness. I I I worship Him. I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I call this a praise break as the Holy Apostle figuratively, if not literally, bows his sanctified knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Again, he, he calls for that unity from whom the whole family. Remember the song, Sly in the Family Stone? It's a family affair, right? From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, the whole family. He, he keeps that up. He, he keeps reminding these Gentiles, you're in the family. They had to be convinced, you're in the family. Yeah, you were pagans, you're in the family. No, you weren't part of the Abrahamic, the land covenant, the Davidic covenant. You weren't part of all those covenants in the Old Testament. But now God has grafted, you read Romans 11, God has grafted you in. You're in the family. Come on in, 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 come on in. You're in the family. You're in the family. You're in the family. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Then he says in verses 16 and 17 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. And then he says in verse 18 may be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the saints. You see that he, he keeps he, that, that main theme of Ephesians, the unity that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. But he keeps saying, you, we, you, come on in. You're in the family. You, 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 you don't have to, you know, bow to Jewish fables. You don't, have to, you don't have to keep the law of Moses. You don't have to keep it because Christ has fulfilled, Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law. And the prophets, he said, he, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And so Jesus perfectly fulfilling the law and the prophets. Uh, and now when we trust in him and we believe and walk with him, we fulfill the law and the prophets. Not by keeping ceremonial ordinances, but by walking with Jesus, by trusting, uh, by trusting uh, in Jesus. So the Holy Apostle prays that the church will be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Remember, the Holy Spirit, his ministry is to reveal, but it's also to strengthen our inner man. The parakletos, to walk beside us, to walk with us as Jesus walked with his apostles when he was on earth. But Jesus said, I got to go away, boys, but I'm going to send a comforter to you. I'm going to send somebody. The comforter can't come until I go away. You can't have me walking beside you and the Holy Spirit walking beside you at the same time. I got to go away. For if I go not away, the comforter cannot come. And now that Jesus has gone away through his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, and ascension back to glory, back to the right hand of the Father, now he, then he sent on the day of Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit. And now anybody who trusts in Christ sincerely, and the Bible says the Lord knows those who are his, didn't say Crockett, though. Says Crockett, I don't know. I can't say that person belongs to Jesus. That person does not. That person does not. No, that person does not. 
The only person I will say does not would be if the person tells me they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe he died on the cross, etc. Now, I'll say that person does not. But it is not my job to go around saying, no, no, yeah, mm -hmm, no, yeah. The Bible says the Lord, and it gives me such comfort and I can rest. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows. The Lord knows, all right, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. The apostle also stresses the importance of being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Speaking the truth in love. Rooted and grounded in love. The church has, uh, corporately and individually, the church has to be rooted and grounded in love. In love. In love. In love. It is only by the Holy Spirit's revelation that we are able to comprehend what the apostle mentions in these two verses. Again, I go back to what I always say. You don't know you don't know anything about God unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. You you could even come to God unless the Lord through his spirit drew you. I'm including myself. But through the Holy Spirit, we can have the revelation God wants us to have. Because to whom is Paul speaking here? He's not speaking to a college of cardinals and bishops and archbishops and prelates, you know, with collars on and those and all that, all the vestments you see in the, some of your churches and the Catholic churches and some of your Pentecostal and other denominations. He's not speaking to the college of bishops here at Ephesus. He's speaking to the common people. And he said back in 3, 4, when you read, you'll understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He says, when you read. When you read, you'll understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So when the Lord sees us reading and he sees a sincere desire through the Holy Spirit, he will reveal uh, the word uh, to us. But Paul is not speaking here to, you know, a bunch of big shot preachers. He's not. He's speaking to the common people. He's not. You don't have to have a seminary degree to understand God's word. You, you don't. You don't. Please believe me, you don't have to have a seminary degree to understand God's word. Seminary is good, fine. You know, I'm, I'm just uh, on the cusp of graduating from seminary. That's good. That's great. But certain things, if you want to do certain things and have certain positions, if you want to, you know, you know most churches today want the um, pastor, pastoral candidate to have at least one seminary degree. So those, or if you want to teach at a seminary. So those, so it has its purpose. You do not have to have a seminary degree to understand God's word. You have to have the revelation of the Holy Spirit. You have to have the revelation of the Holy Spirit to understand God's word. Okay, again, Paul is speaking to the common people here. All right? Okay, so I went as far as verse 19. Let's go ahead and finish the chapter. That's another praise break. He says, now unto him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verses 20 and 21, and then we're done with chapter 3. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now to him. Who? Oh, him, that guy. The Lord. Hallelujah. Now to him. This is another praise break. It's a benediction, right? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all that we ask or think, you can never, you can never out ask, I don't know how to put this. You can never out uh, pray, out ask, 
out um think God, God you can never ask more than what God is able to do now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think or all that we ask or even what we don't verbally ask what we think hallelujah according to the power that works in us he keeps saying there's this power working within us he keeps saying that he says it several times through the ephesian epistle and i'm sure it's in other epistles according to this inner working of the according to the inner working of the holy spirit according to this the working in the inner man he keeps saying there's this power working within us that has to be because of the Holy Spirit who, who dwells within us. Well, the Holy Spirit dwells within all true believers. Now, how much the Holy Spirit manifests himself in believers, that's another story. That could be another story. But every believer has the Holy Spirit. God's not going to save you and not give you the Holy Spirit. It, 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 would Ford build a car and not put an engine in it and take it off the, uh, let it roll off the assembly line with no engine? Would Chevrolet build a car and let it roll off the assembly line with no transmission? Without a transmission, the car can't go forward or go into reverse. You know the purpose of a transmission. So if man has that wisdom, certainly God does. God, you know, God doesn't, God, you don't have Christians running around with who don't have the Holy Spirit. If they don't have the Holy Spirit, according to Romans, they don't belong to the Lord. Well, that's Bible. But the question is, does the Holy Spirit have control of our lives? That's, that's, that's probably where that uh, confusion and doctrinal denominational difference, that's probably where it uh, comes in. All right, so now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. You see that? Paul is speaking to the church here. He's not speaking to the world in general, right? These, these letters, as I've said before, these letters are written to believers, flawed believers, but believers, immature believers in many cases, but believers. They're written to believers, Paul to the saints, Peter to the saints, Jude to the saints, John to the saints, to the saints. And the word saints simply means holy ones. It doesn't mean perfected in the sense that, you know, can never do wrong, etc. But it means holy ones, sanctified, called unto God, called through Jesus Christ. Read, read, the, read the beginning of the epistles and it'll say, to the saints at Corinth. Now, if anybody had some problems, it was the Corinthian. You, would, you probably wouldn't want to pastor the Corinthian church. If you pastor the Corinthian church, you better have a good, um, a good package, like a good um, salary um, 401k. <laughs> if you're going to pass the Corinthian church, you better have about two months of vacation built in there. If you're going to pass the Corinthian church, you, you better have a good, uh, a good, um, uh, um, uh, what, what word am I looking for here? You better have a good, uh, uh, recompense. I don't know what word I'm looking for here. You better have a good, uh, a, a good, a good compensation package, whatever the word is. You're gonna have, if you're gonna pass the Corinthian church, you you're gonna you're gonna spend some nice walking the floor. <laughs> you better have some you better have more than a week vacation, you know, a little week in July, you know, when the church goes on sabbatical. 
you better have some. You better have more than a week vacation built in if you're going if you're going past to the Corinthian church. But they were the Paul said sanctified, meaning you belong to God. You've been called out from the world unto God. All right. So anyway, so he, let's close here. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He says there's a power working in us. Mm. To him be glory in the church. Hallelujah. To him be glory in the church. That's why the church must always exalt the Lord. Our preaching, our teaching, of course, our lives must always exalt the Lord. By Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. Another, another praise break, which also serves as a benediction. Benediction just means good word. Benediction. Diction. Dictionary. Word. Bena. Latin word. Good. Like buenos dias. Bueno. Good. Benediction. Right? So benediction is a good word at the end. You see people walking out of the church during the benediction. I, I used to be with a pastor. He would say, there's a blessing in the benediction. You're speaking a word over the people. People walking out. Yeah. Now unto him who is able, it is important to remember that our minds will never be able to fully comprehend and appreciate God's power and glory on this side of glory. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. He says there's a power working in us. If it's working in us, then it has to be working through us, right? He says there's a power that works in us. That power is of the Holy Spirit, right? To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. You got the Holy Trinity right here. Unto him by the power of the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ to all generations. This is the, in a, this is the New King James, I think. Forever and ever. Let me read that out of the King James. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. End of chapter 3. So we, we, we've gone halfway through Ephesians. Ephesians has six chapters. Chapter 4 has 13. Ooh, 4 is long. 4 has 32 verses. <laughs> so it's going to take a while to get through 4. Let me read... We got a few minutes here. Let me read... Let me read verses 1 through 16. And then we'll pick up on Thursday, Lord willing. We'll pick up on Thursday at chapter 4 in Ephesians. But let me read verses 1 through 16. I'll read from the King James Version. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. 
Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He that, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. We'll pick up on Thursday. Lord willing, we'll pick up on Thursday with the fourth chapter. It's gonna, I'm going to have to do some serious study in there. They got, there's some stuff in there I'm going to have to kind of scratch my head over so i'll start studying that uh soon <laughs> very soon there's got some stuff in there i'm gonna need to i'm gonna need to try to explain all right god bless you let's pray father in the name of the lord jesus christ we thank you and we bless you and we praise you we thank you just for the privilege of mentioning your name the name of your dear holy son jesus blessed be his name forever lord thank you lord for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light Thank you, Lord, for inviting us to be part of the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for grafting us as Gentiles into, Lord, the holy olive tree. Thank you, Lord God. Blessed be your name forever through Jesus Christ. We pray that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit would be manifested as a result of this teaching and preaching and as a result of teaching and preaching all over the world. We thank you again for sustaining the churches, your body, the body of your Holy Son. We thank you for sustaining those leaders of those churches that truly love uh, love you, love your dear son Jesus. We pray that you'll continually fill us with the Holy Spirit and that there will be a powerful manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. By Jesus Christ, we thank you for the privilege of mentioning your name. Blessed be your name forever and ever, forever and ever. Forgive us for our sins, Lord God, for we know that sin hinders our relationship with you. Please forgive us by Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. All right. God bless you. I will come to you, Lord willing, on Thursday evening at 8 p.m. We will start. I don't know how many verses we'll do, but we will start Ephesians chapter 4. It has 32 verses. We're obviously not going to do all 32. wouldn't bother me, but you probably don't want to you know, listen for it will take like three hours. So we'll do chapter 4. We'll probably do at least the first 10 verses, the first 8 verses, something like that. Read Ephesians on your own. Go, go ahead and get ahead of me and read, read, read the fourth chapter on your own. Study it on your own. Remember, you have access to the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit. Don't just depend on another person. You have, you have that same access. You don't have to come to me behind a confessional booth. That's, 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 that's not what you have to do here. You can go to God on your own through Jesus Christ and get what the, whole, what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God bless you, my beloved. You take care, and we will see you, Lord willing. We will see you.